Alternative Radio. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Today we're going to bring you articles and stories about weird shit and science shit. And yeah. maybe other shit. I don't know. I know some, but I don't know all. Why don't we start with an article? Okay. And this is going to be an article about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Everyone knows I like dinosaurs. I mean, most people like dinosaurs. Christians don't like dinosaurs because they believe that Satan put them there to trick us. Oh, so, okay. Yes. Right. But uh, this particular story is from ScienceDaily.com from July 7th, 2022. A new giant dinosaur gives insight into why many prehistoric meat eaters had such tiny arms. That is, I'm interested to hear this because, you know, T-Rex with his tiny little, like, useless baby arms and stuff. Yep. A team co-led by University of Minnesota Twin Cities researcher Peter Makovicki and Argentinian colleagues Juan Canale and Sebastian Apestiguilla has discovered a new, huge, meat-eating dinosaur dubbed Maraxis gigas. The new dinosaur provides clues about the evolution and biology of dinosaurs, such as the Carcharodontosaurus and Tyrannosaurus rex specifically, why these animals had such big skulls and tiny arms. The study is published in Current Biology, a peer-reviewed scientific biology journal. The researchers initially discovered Maraxis in Patagonia in 2012 and have spent the last several years extracting, preparing, and analyzing the specimen. The dinosaur is part of the Carcardontosauridae family, a group of giant carnivorous theropods that also includes Gigantosaurus, one of the largest known meat-eating dinosaurs and one of the reptilian stars of the recently released Jurassic World Dominion movie. Though not the largest among Carcardontosaurids, Maraxis was still an imposing animal, measuring around 36 feet from snout to tail tip and weighing approximately 9,000 pounds. The researchers discovered the Maraxis from rocks that are around 90 to 95 million years old, alongside other dinosaurs, including several long-necked sauropod specimens. Maraxis is among the most complete Carcardontosauroid skeleton paleontologists have found yet in the southern hemisphere, and includes nearly the entirety of the animal's skull, hips, and both left and right arms and legs. The neat thing is that we found the body plan is surprisingly similar to Tyrannosaurus's like T-Rex, said Peter Makovicki, one of the principal authors of the study and a professor in the University of Minnesota N.H. Winchell School of Earth and Environmental Sciences. But they're not particularly closely related to T-Rex. They're from very different branches of the meat-eating dinosaur family tree. So having this new discovery allowed us to probe the question of why do these meat-eating dinosaurs get so big and have these dinky little arms? The discovery of this new Carcardontosauroid, the most complete up to now, gives us an outstanding opportunity to learn about their systematics, paleobiology, and true size like never before, said Sebastian Apestantuguia a co-author of the study and a researcher at Miamonitis, a university in Argentina. 
With the statistical data that Moraxis provided, the researchers found that large megapredatory dinosaurs in all three families of theropods grew in similar ways. As they evolved, their skulls grew large and their arms progressively shortened. The possible uses of tiny forelimbs in T. rex and other large carnivorous dinosaurs have been the topic of much speculation and debate. What we're suggesting is that there's a different take on this, Makovicki said. We shouldn't worry so much about what the arms are being used for because the arms are actually being reduced as a consequence of the skulls becoming massive. Whatever the arms may or may not have been used for, they're taking on a secondary function since the skull is being optimized to handle larger prey. The researchers also found that Carcardontosaurids, including the species from Patagonia, evolved very quickly but then disappeared suddenly from the fossil record very soon after. Usually, when animals are on the verge of extinction, it's because their evolutionary rates are quite slow, meaning they aren't adapting that quickly to their environment, explained Juan Canale, the study's lead author and researcher at the National University in Rio Negro. Here, we have evidence that Moraxis and its relatives were evolving quite fast, and yet within a few million years of being around, they disappeared, and we don't know why. It's one of these finds where you answer some questions, but it generates more questions for the future. The research was funded by the National Geographic Society, Municipalidad de Villa El Cochon, Fundación Félix de Azara, and the Field of Museum in Chicago. So, they think there's a reason it got smaller. They think it's because the head got bigger and they really didn't need hands because the head was so fucking big. But they're not sure. Right. Their jaw is just so, like, big and powerful that it just does all the, you know, necessary things. Yeah, I guess they just don't need to grab onto anything like some critters with arms do. Mm-hmm. Their legs, they, they run and catch you with their legs, and then they bite you to pieces with their massive head and jaws. Or if, you know, if, they're, if they're just, they just use their massive face to chew on dead things that they find already, you know, as, as a large right. scavenger. So, you know, hey, there you go. But there was a lot of difficult to uh, pronounce large words in that article. Oh, well, yeah. Didn't really expect any otherwise since it was an article about, you know, dinosaurs. What do you have for us, Joanna? Well, we're in July now. So if you are in, yeah, if you are in the uh, Northern Hemisphere... We are, like, 100% fully immersed into summer. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, you're, you're not. Yeah, winter. you're, like, in, in winter and stuff. And you might not be doing some of those summer activities, such as camping. So how's about some camping with a side of unsolved multiple murder? That sounds just like you, Joanna. <laughs> You're not wrong. My sources for this are www.grunge.com, www.mentalfloss.com, www.historicmysteries.com, medium.com, and the fellas mysteries on youtube.com i just discovered them and they're um pretty cool nice like two guys the fellas two british mysteries. guys yeah and they like sit behind a desk kind of like detective like and they wear their like their button-down shirts and their ties and yeah discuss uh true crime and 
whatever. What have you? I mean, I only yeah. Watched, yeah, I only watched the one video, but uh, yeah. But it impressed it was, you. You liked it. I, I was impressed by it. I was impressed by it. They had around 300,000 views, so I'm feeling like they're not really dependent on our endorsement. But, you know, nonetheless, We're there check you go. Them out, folks. Give them a watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they'll never know you sent us, and they'll never know who we are, but check them out. <laughs> right, exactly. In the early hours of the morning of June 5th, 1960, an unknown perpetrator attacked four teenagers as they camped on the shore of Finland's famous Lake Bodum. Lake Bodum is a little over 12 miles or 20 kilometers from the Finnish capital of Helsinki, near the town of Espoo. Three died, one survived, and what actually happened happened remains shrouded in mystery to this day. So, let's get down to it. Let's get down to it. The murders. Four teenagers made up of two couples arrived on June 4th, 1960 at the campsite near Lake Bodum on motorcycles. They set up tents on the shore of the lake early in the evening. There was some drinking, uh, just, just, you know, normal teenager. So Jason Voorhees is what you're saying. Jason came out of the lake and hacked him up with a fucking machete, right? You know, it does have that feel. And I wonder if these murders, uh, you know, might have uh, gone into the inspiration of the Friday the 13th, you know? Possibly, but it was also the 19, you know, that was a long time ago and they didn't have... It was 1960. It wasn't easy to, like, transmit information back in the day like that, so maybe. That's true. And it did happen all the way in Finland, but, you know, it's very famous in Finland's history. (laughs) The first time I ever heard about Finland was from Monty Python. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they have a song called Finland. Ah, okay. Just didn't know about it. So shoot, uh, you know? First time I made, was made aware of Finland was um, actually Die Hard when uh, that that asshole reporter um, they were talking about like Helsinki syndrome. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you start to identify the captors, and he's like, as in Helsinki, Sweden, and the guy's actually like, no, dude, like Finland, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a mm-hmm. conspiracy that Finland is, does not exist. Oh, like Wyoming. Yes. So I, I think that's, you know, fucking bullshit. But, you know, I've been to Wyoming. Never been to Finland. I've been to Wyoming but, as well. Yeah. I, I feel like it exists, but there is a thing that, you know, that Wyoming isn't actually real. Yeah, and well. I guess Finland, too. But, like, some murders did happen there or wherever they say Finland is. And then also in Wyoming. <laughs> Right. I mean, so, stuff happens. Yep. Stuff happens everywhere. And Even uh, if it doesn't exist, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. And man, now that you mentioned like Jason, you know, I've got the like the. Ch- 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 ah, 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 ah. Yeah. 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 I got the, the themes running through my head. Well, the four teenagers were Seppo and Terrio Boisman and Anya Tuliki Maki. Nils Gustason and Myla Ermeli Bjorklund. Two boys, two girls. Both boys were 18 and both girls were 15 years old. All right. Right. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, Scandinavia. I think Finland's 15 considered. And 15 and 18 isn't weird. I mean, that's a. It's not, it's not those weird. Are, those I are, mean, those are I, I feel like maybe by together. today's kind of like hyped up standards, it might be a little bit because anytime anyone's under 18, it's now it's like, you know. I guess. But that's like if a, if a high school freshman or sophomore is dating a high school junior or senior. 
depending upon mm-hmm. when their birthday is. It's not yeah. that weird. It's weird if it they're like 25 dating a 15-year-old. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's weird. That's gross. Yeah. That's definitely gross. So both boys 18, both girls 15 years old. It, I guess maybe it just seems a little bit young for them to be like out there like camping overnight. It was 1960s too, you know? boys, But it's 1960s. It's Finland. They're, you know, they're a little bit like looser with like the... I have no idea if they are or not. They they are for sure. I mean, if if it's to be measured anything by like my personal experience, like in that would be like Norway and like you know Sweden. Nor- they're they're much less like hung up about stuff like that. Definitely more so, or less so than the United fucking States. Uh, of, yes, like, you I know, would say so. But me as one being you know raised in like the, you know the puritanical United States, it's yeah. just like hmm, fifteen years old and out spending the night with boys, huh? United States on of a puritanical trip. bullshit. Regressive yeah. states of America. <laughs> yes, and they just keep getting more and more regressive. No, it's lovely. Oh, I know. It's 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 a great time to be alive in, in America, I it's, tell you folks. It's, it's great how conservatives always complain about how the liberals are gonna take their rights, and yet the conservatives are slowly not even slowly, are just taking rights away and everyone's fucking fine with it. Right. Ridiculous I guess some bullshit. rights, you know, I mean, there's rights and then there's rights, I, I guess, guess, is I how guess, that works out in, yeah. like, the political world. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but nevertheless, yeah, it's all a big, uh, giant clusterfuck. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> to say the least. Well, at around 10.30 p.m., both couples retire to bed. Now, what happened between then and the next morning is still a mystery, but at around 11 a.m. on June 5th, a man named Esko Johansson was going for a swim with his son in Lake Bodum when he made a gruesome discovery. He stumbled upon what appeared to be four dead bodies. Police were called to the scene and tried to piece together what had transpired based on the physical evidence. Both McKee and Boisman lay dead inside. The tent appeared to be torn to shreds and several items belonging to the group, uh, such as clothes and money, appeared stolen. The motorcycles were still there and when the authorities arrived, but strangely, the keys were missing to the motorcycles. So the keys were gone, but the bikes were still there. Okay. The most, the weirdest thing about this was how the killer had uh, perpetrated the assault. The teens had been knifed and clubbed while they were still inside the tent, with the killer first cutting the ropes and supports of the tent, causing it to collapse, and then slashing through the tent from the outside in order to stab them. Huh. All possessed multiple bruises and stab wounds, including the still-living Nils Gustafsson, who had been found on top of the tent. And according to some versions of the events, his girlfriend, uh, Bjorklund, she had, uh, was also found on top of the tent, meaning she'd either crawled out of the tent or her body must have been moved between the time of the attack and when the police arrived. Mila Bjorklund. So that's actually like that many people being murdered in Finland is mm-hmm. actually a pretty fucking crazy thing. Yeah, that's so why I say it's like a really famous I, case in I Finland. I pulled up the homicides per 100,000 population in Finland and uh at its height from tw- uh, 2010 to 2020 there were 1.9 homicides per 100,000 people. Yeah. That's fucking nothing. Yeah, it has a very low murder very rate. Very low homicide rate. 
So for uh, you know, four and one month. Yeah, or four so and one for, go. Yeah, well, technically three because the other guy survived. Oh but, well, you know. Okay. Nevertheless, attempted four and three killed. That was good. Yeah, it was it was huge. It that was, was huge. good for like uh, three hundred thousand people in twenty ten. Right. Police uh, figured out that the attack on the group had occurred sometime between the hours of 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, they were stabbed and beaten, but they could never figure out what it was that had done, like, the bludgeoning. Like, they didn't know what the weapon was. Right, they didn't know what the weapon was. And then uh, a knife had done the stabbing, but they never found that either. They never found either one of the murder weapons. Some of the missing clothing belonging to the group was found covered in blood about a third of a mile or 500 meters away from the murder site. And Gustafson's shoes were also thought to be lost until investigators found them about a half a mile or 800 meters from the campsite. The shoes are going to kind of come into play like later. Okay. Yeah. Police called on the military to help search the areas for missing items, although very little was discovered. And they were also pretty careless with their treatment of the uh, murder site. They failed to properly secure the crime scene, which was then trampled by the press and concerned citizens, uh, which could have contaminated what little evidence there was to begin with. Which does, is not surprising because it's like it fucking never happens. Like it never happens. Like what? They don't know really what to do. I'm sure. Although I mean, it's, it's like it's it's, it's also still 1960. Like, I mean, yeah, but still, I mean, when you know you throw some crime scene tape up, you don't let anyone near the crime scene. <laughs> it seems easy, but when I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, for me, it just felt good to know that police in other countries fuck things up, too. Yeah. Like, they're, just not, they're not just inept <laughs> in this country. They're just violent, right, more dangerous right. in this country than in a lot of other countries. Well, I'm sure these police don't even have guns, you know. Probably not. I, I mean, I've mentioned my Norwegian true crime, like the, the guy where, like, the detective is always just like, damn it, why are you trying to make us, like, use guns all the time? Like, I don't want to have a gun all the time. Right. Although, to be fair, every time he does catch the bad guy, he does, like, use a gun. He, like, happens to, like, just have one, even though he's just kind of like, ugh, about it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but I do have one, obviously. Yeah, so, you know, I guess it's helpful at, at times, but, you know, it's stupid that we have to carry them. An autopsy on Myla Bjorklund found that she had suffered the most stab wounds around, several stab wounds and around 15 post-mortem stab wounds were found on her body. She also had defensive wounds to her hands and wrists. So everyone had been stabbed and bludgeoned and had died from stabbing and bludgeoning, but she seemed to have like the highest number of stab wounds. One source also says that she was found with her underwear removed, although I didn't find any other um, sources that said that, and there was nothing about any sexual assaults occurring. Also, there's two couples. Right. It wouldn't be weird if she wasn't wearing her underwear. Right, yeah. I mean, it's the middle of the night, and yeah, there's two couples, so... Not like, everyone wears not underwear when they sleep, and, even. I mean, it could right. even, it, it may not even been, like, a sexual thing. It may have just been like, it, she doesn't sleep with her underwear. Right. Sometimes underwear feels restrictive when you're trying to sleep. Yeah. So there's that. So, and that's probably likely the scenario, which is why there's like no mention of any sexual assault is because it was probably unrelated to the yeah. actual murder. But you never know. 
<sighs> well, let's move on to our suspects. So this is like a weird case because there were a few viable suspects, uh, which includes the, sur the surviving victim, Nils Gustafson. I will talk more on that later, but first I'm just going to go over what his story is just as a witness to the murder as opposed to a suspect of the murders. His account of that night was pretty limited due to his claim of being attacked first and also fogginess due to his head injuries. He did have a pretty bad concussion and a broken jaw. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. He told the police he became disoriented and believed that the killer, whoever it is, thought that he was dead, and so he went on to attack the rest of the group after, you know, fucking him up. He claimed that he saw the killer dressed in black and bright red just before he attacked the group. Now, another version of this account has Gustafson stating that the killer was dressed in black and had bright red eyes. Interesting. Creepy. Yes. Fairly unlikely. Yeah. But you never know. I mean, that, I, and it's, it's unclear as to, like, which account he actually said. Was the killer dressed in black and bright red, or was he dressed in black and had bright red eyes? Or was he dressed but, in bright red, red and had uh, black eyes? Yeah. Ooh. That's a thought. Now, as I said, he did have extensive injuries, which included a broken jaw and a concussion. And additionally, before the actual discovery of the bodies, a group of bird watchers, some like, you know, like young teenagerish, you know, 12, 13 year old boys out bird watching. Bird watching. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what you did in the 60s. You know, you went out and bird watched. Is that just like a, a 60s term for peeping Tom? <laughs> No, I think that's some of the thing that, you know, maybe it's or like some, like, you know, Finland you know, Boy Scouts out there getting their merit badge for bird watching. Because, you Who know, knows? George McFly. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was bird watching, but he wasn't worried. Right. He was watching Lorraine. Uh-huh. So, I mean. Well, I feel like if you're going to be like air quotes bird watching, like 6 a.m. isn't the time to be doing it. Maybe they get up early in Finland. <laughs> Maybe they get up early to actually bird watch if you're like going to be like peeping time. You know, that's that's like midnight. Like, yeah, I was up bird watching in the dark and uh, happened to see this. All right. Well, whatever they were doing, <laughs> the, 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 the kids who were allegedly bird watching around 6 a.m. said that they remember seeing a blonde haired man walking away from the scene of the murders. Gustafson had brown hair, so for the time being, the police dismissed him and moved on to other suspects, which included more than one confession, more than one confession, and more than one suicide. Wow. Yes. So number one <laughs> would be <laughs> Penty Soininen. He was a violent criminal and claimed responsibilities for the murders while he was incarcerated for another crime in the mid-1960s. He lived near the murder site, but the thing that dismissed him as a murder sus suspect would have been he would have been only 14 years old at the time of the murder. Oh. So police felt it was a little improbable that yeah. he would have been able to take on like two 18-year-old guys and two 15-year-old girls. Yeah, I'd say they're probably right there. 
what's weird though is that he hung himself on June 6, 1969, one day after the ninth anniversary of the murders. So, but he was in jail, right? I don't know if he was in jail when he hung himself, uh, but he did. Huh. He did. He did confess while he was in jail to the murders, or bragged of doing the murders, and then subsequently hung himself. He's probably like the least likely of the suspects, I would say. Right. Just weird that he both confessed and committed suicide. Like the day how? After, what like was the ninth anniversary? Yeah. So it was like, but it was how long after? Uh, nine years after. Yeah, I mean that's I guess kind of weird, but it's also an easy. I mean. Yeah, I mean it's, that's it's a pretty easy. You know, sometimes if you see coincidence, you know, you're gonna you're gonna find if you're looking for coincidences, you're you're gonna find I mean, some along the way. It's the beginning of the summer. He's been in there for almost a decade. He just like fucks and wants to go out and like see the tulips or whatever, and then you know he's just had enough. Right. Although, if it's Finland, if it's anything in like uh, other countries in Europe, I mean, he probably would have been almost done with his sentence at that time. I mean, nine it's probably years. Probably true. Yeah. <laughs> They're not huge on like the big, heavy, yeah, that's long true. sentences out there. Very true. The next suspect would be Carl Valdemar Gilstrom. I always want to say Voldemort. Yeah. Does he have a nose? <laughs> he does have a nose, so he's not like the actual. So he's not Voldemort. Voldemort but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he was a guy that the cops liked, like, a lot, because not only did he confess to the murders to his neighbor while he was drunk, um, (laughs) (laughs) he was near the scene of the crime because he ran a kiosk business at the campgrounds, and people called him, like, Kiosk Man, uh... And Maybe I don't know what the kiosk sold or whatever, but um, he apparently was just like a giant dick who had a really bad temper, and he often it's a good uh, it's a good match. Yeah, no, not only are you a dick, but you got a shitty temper. Yes, he hated campers and also children, um, and I'm guessing both due to noise issues. Like he hated loud campers and he hated loud children. He was known to throw rocks at campers and also at times cunt. cunt. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Cut their tent stakes. (laughs) Wow. So he's just like at night or whatever, or like during the day? Uh, I don't know. Like, and they didn't specify like when he he would cunt their stakes. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah. Yeah, he liked to cut cut the ropes to the stakes and and throw rocks at campers who had somehow uh, aggravated him in some way. Fucking campers, you know? Yeah, fuck them. Campers and children. Well, yeah. <laughs> Noisy ass motherfuckers. Also on the spectrum of suspicious behavior, Gilstrom was seen pouring concrete into a well in his back garden several days after the murders. It's been theorized that it could have been the murder weapons or other belongings of the murdered campers that he was putting in the well and dumping concrete over it. Yes, evidence that he was trying to cover up evidence in some way. However, Gilstrom's wife provided him an alibi for the night of the murder, saying that Gilstrom was home and in bed all night long. However, many years later, on her deathbed, allegedly, she retracted that statement, saying that her husband had threatened to kill her if she implicated him in the murders. 
Also, some neighbors reported seeing him coming home, you know, out and about, coming back to his house early in the morning of the day the murders occurred, but they never said anything to police because, again, they feared retribution and the guy's temper. He was just such a giant dick that they're like, okay, well, he was definitely, like, out. He wasn't, like, home in bed at this time. He was just, he was just coming home early in the morning, you know, probably from, like, murdering those campers, but we're not <laughs> right. saying shit because... Because <laughs> we don't want to get fucking murdered. Right. He knows where you live, right. as it turns out. Exactly. Guy's like a giant dick, and uh, I'm just staying out of it. Now, weirdly, also in 1969, Gilstrom committed suicide. And remember how he had like drunkenly like admitted to his neighbor? Well, apparently he told some other friend that, you know, he did the killings and uh, had asked, uh, you know, what what should I do if I if I were responsible? And the friend had said, you should drown yourself because you'll be spending the rest of your life in prison. And so the next day, Gelstrom went to Lake Bodum and did exactly that. He fucking drowned, drowned himself, himself in the goddamn lake. That's a fucking way to go. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I mean, it wouldn't take long. And it wouldn't be awfully painful. No, but, but it's just like, that's some commitment right there. Yeah, I know, right? It's just like the scary factor, you know? like Right. You like, like, I'm sure it goes in slow motion when you toss whatever over the edge that is going to slowly pull your ass underwater. And like, do you take a bunch of drugs first? Like, who knows? I don't know. You just go and swim like really deep, like, and just try and, you know, just wear yourself out and just let yeah, yourself just, go under. I don't just know. Swim until you literally can't swim anymore. And then you just pat. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It takes some commitment, though, to do that. I feel Definitely. Like. Yeah. And that's kind of weird, though. I, I feel like he was uh, really likable as a suspect, not likable as a human being. But, no, but... Um, yeah, I mean, he kind of checks a lot of boxes there. And, and then that's weird, okay? He confessed and then killed himself. Like, this is like the second guy to have done this. Why, do you, why are you confessing? I mean, when you get, once you get two confessions, you're like, shit. Right. What, what, like, what now? <laughs> <laughs> two confessions and two suicides, no yeah, less. Yeah. Well, there is another suspect, and uh, I have a hard time saying his name without laughing. His name is Hans Asman. Asman, spell it. A S S M A N N. Shit. Literally the Asman. The Asman cometh. Okay. Wow. Uh, Asman was a former member of the German Luftwaffe and an alleged KGB spy. He came under a little bit of suspicion because on June 6, 1960, he arrived at the Helsinki Surgical Hospital in an extremely delirious state, and his clothes appeared to be blotted with red stains, which seemed to be blood. So <laughs> he comes, like, with a lot of blood. He's very disheveled. He was incoherent. His fingernails were uh, black and dirty. He might have been playing it up a little bit, though, because he wasn't getting seen as quickly as he wanted. So he kept like pretending to be unconscious in order to get seen quicker than the other patients. And then when that didn't work, he became hostile towards the staff and patients and was uh, asked to leave the premises. <laughs> 
Now, remember the two boys uh, who claimed to have been bird watching and also claimed to have been had seen a blonde man uh, leaving the crime scene around the time the murders occurred. Well, Asman, as it turns out, had long blonde hair at the time of the Lake Bodum killings. Plus, he physically looks the most like the sketch, um, most like the sketch artist composites of the suspects, as described by both Gustafson and the other eyewitnesses. Now, more on the sketch in a minute here. But when this information became public knowledge, Asman reportedly shaved his hair completely bald. Additionally, the clothing that Asman wore when he entered the hospital, which was a red and black flannel, matched the description of the bird watchers. Uh, it said blonde hair, red and black flannel shirt. Ah. Yes. And then, of course, Gustafson saying it was a guy wearing red and black, or a guy wearing all black with the red eyes. Other things that were made him, uh, you know, a likely suspect was that he lived in the Lake Bodum area. He was a murder suspect uh, in another uh, murder of a 17-year-old girl in 1953, and also in a few other unsolved cases. The weird thing is, though, is that. For this particular crime, he had an alibi. He was with his mistress. Allegedly, supposedly. Allegedly, supposedly. I mean, sounds familiar. Like, I mean, just like the other guy who was like, right. you know, with his wife in bed all night. Although, like, nobody came forward on their deathbed and said, like, actually, he wasn't with me this time around. Now, the photograph. Okay, so Gustafson because his uh, recollection was so foggy of what happened, he went under hypnosis to describe the person that he saw to a sketch artist. And then there was like a fisherman and then the, you know, air quotes, bird watchers. They also described it to a sketch artist and all like three of the sketches look a lot alike. Now there was this funeral that took place for the the three dead teenagers and a picture was taken and i shit you not there is a guy i mean it's so crowded i mean like tons of people show up because of course this is like a huge it you know it's all over the news it's a huge tragedy three teenagers you know losing their life um there is a guy at the funeral in the crowd and his fucking face, it looks exactly, exactly <laughs> like the sketch artist composite of the suspect. Now, Asman is the one who looks the most like it, but I mean, it's not, he's not, not like a dead ringer for it. Not like this guy at the funeral, who maybe could have been Asman, but again, allegedly he was somewhere else on the day of the funeral. But, I mean, this guy in the crowd just looks exact. I mean, it's crazy. You should Google the picture. You should Google the, the funeral, uh, you know, the Lake Bodum, you know, sketch artist uh, composite and funeral photograph. And you can see for yourself. It is nuts how much. And this guy is creepy looking. Like, the sketch artist composites, I mean, if you looked at that, you'd be almost like, that isn't even just how a normal human being looks. Until you see this photograph with this guy in the crowd and there he is there he is this weird looking fucking guy 
And and who, yeah, I would say Asman is the one who looks the most like him out of all the suspects, but still, there's something not quite, not quite the same. Although I couldn't for sure rule him out because he seems to be a guy, I mean, allegedly he's this KGB spy who might have been recruited out of a Russian prisoner of war camp, like, during World War II. Right. Um... But there's there's a lot of unknowns about this guy and the fact that he's been a suspect in other murders. It, it fits better than other theories as to why somebody would have just randomly killed, you know, like killed three teenagers and tried to kill a fourth one. Yeah, that's super weird. The sketch in the face. I mean, that is a fucked up yes. looking face, right? It is a fucked it up looking face. It does not look like a real face. I know. That's what I thought until you see the photograph and there's that fucking face yeah. in the crowd. That's crazy. It is crazy. So let's go on to fast forward to 2004 and get back to Nils Gustafson. Because in 2004, police reopened the case and decided to actually put him on trial <laughs> for the murders. Okay. Nice. Like, yes. Yeah, let's actually give this a shot. Right. Now, according to the... DNA, the new DNA evidence, they found blood from each of the victims on Gustafson's shoes, except for Gustafson himself. Right. So there's the shoe, the blood from the other three, and his shoes are the ones that were found like 400 yeah. meters away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the theory that they put forward was that Gustafson erupted in a jealous rage over an incident with his girlfriend, Myla Bjorklund. Uh, there, they, you know, don't have any, you know, specific details about, like, why this would have happened, but apparently there were some other witnesses at another campsite who said that they saw Gustafson and, and the other guy, Boisman, Seppo Boisman, they were having a heated argument, is what they testified to. So they put forth this theory that maybe Boisman is the one who punched out Gustafson and broke his jaw, and then Gustafson killed the other three uh, in a jealous rage and, and, you know, anger over whatever uh, had transpired. But it's just, uh, I mean, yeah. like one punch, like. Breaking a it's jaw hard to with break one somebody's punch. jaw with one I punch. Mean, a jaw is a pretty strong thing. It, I mean, you eat with it. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty, and there's there's a lot of muscles on the side. And I don't know. That seems kind I of. I guess strange, they but. they felt that that was easier to explain than trying to uh, convince a jury that he had Gustafson broke his own jaw on purpose in Fair order enough. to throw them off. Fair enough. And, but the, one of the female victims, Anya, um, Anya McKee, she had also had a broken jaw. So I don't know. It's, <laughs> and it seems to be, I, I mean, you, you get in one like fist fight, you know, maybe a little bit uh, drunk and you have like a, you know, like as people do, they have a little too much to drink and then somebody starts something, starts mouthing off a little bit. And I don't know. It seems like, I mean, you're really going to like kill like, 
all three of your friends over that. Right? Your girlfriend um, and the, your two other friends? Yeah. Seems a bit extreme. And then you're going to, I mean, if you already had the broken jaw, I mean, if somebody else had already hit you to the point where you had a, a broken jaw and a concussion, I think it would be very hard to then overpower them and kill them all. Yes. Stab and bludgeon them to death. Yes. Very also, difficult. Yeah. Also, okay, say he didn't get any of the injuries uh, from Seppo. It would have been hard for him to kill them all and then inflict those injuries upon himself. I, I don't know. Including, like, stabbing himself, which, I mean, they never found the murder weapon. So, what, he stabbed himself and then hit it and didn't leave a blood trail anywhere? Right. Seems and the fact, strange. The fact that, and they think that maybe the killer might have even, it was first posited that maybe the killer wore Gustafson's shoes and then discarded them. And I don't know. It's just weird. That seems really strange. The whole too. shoe thing is like really weird. It seems like maybe the killer like took the shoes because he was like, oh, hey, like maybe I'll take these shoes. Maybe he went and took them like, you know, half a mile away and then decided that they didn't fit right. And he's just going to use his own shoes. Maybe he put them on. <laughs> I mean, Gustafson, if you're going by the account that what he says is true, that he was in fact a victim. And not the perpetrator. Right. He was the one who was attacked first. So maybe he wasn't wearing his shoes. Maybe he was wearing his shoes when he was attacked and the killer before killing the other people like took his shoes off. of. I don't know. There's just so many weird things um, that could kind of explain why three of the victims blood were on, you know, there was blood spatter from all three of the victims except for him on his shoes. Maybe he attacked him. Put on his shoes because they're probably. I'm assuming they're all asleep at that point, right? So maybe he he attacks him, then he puts on his shoes and then attacks the other three. I don't know. Right. But their theory was that his blood wasn't on them because he was the one attacking, attacking them. So he got everyone else's blood except for his own because then he went off somewhere, took his shoes off, and then uh, inflicted the injuries upon himself. Or he was already injured by his friend and managed to do all this and then take his shoes a half mile away after bludgeoning everyone to death. That's Three a, other people. That's fucking stupid. It is stupid. <laughs> and like, and the number number one thing for me that, like, well, you know, you can sit here and spin theories about the shoes all day long and what Gustafson or the killer might have done with them. But the number one thing is that the crime scene was contaminated because the police failed to secure it. So anything out of there is just, I mean, you're just going to have to write it off. Like maybe yeah. his blood was on there. We we're talking about like 44 years later. Seriously. like 44 years later and came from unsecured crime scene. And I'm sure, and I know the shoes weren't found in the initial crime scene. So maybe... Those weren't hand, but I, I mean, I have to suspect if they let people walk all over the crime scene, they probably didn't secure the other items very well. There probably yeah, wasn't I mean, good, like, a uh, chain of evidence Everything for was pretty suspect shoes. at that point. I mean, it's yeah. like, well. And, and, I mean, Gustafson, you know, never did anything 
from that point on to make him seem like a suspect. He got married. He had a couple of kids. He lived a totally normal life until they were just like, oh, hey, remember that horrible thing that happened 44 years ago that you survived? Uh, guess what? We're going to like try you. Now we're that. taking you to court. But... Well, that's uh-huh. fucked up. That seems like there should be some sort of statute of limitations thing. Well, I don't know. I mean, I know in this country there's no statute of limitations on murder. It's like the one thing yeah. we don't have a statute of limitations I think it's on. Murder and rape. Yeah. Well, no, they're rape too. They have statute of limitations on rape. Really? Yes. That's why Cosby like got didn't get like there's a lot of stuff that was like past the statute of limitations. Oh, I thought that the reason he got off was because of some other bullshit. Was, right. Well, probably some other bullshit too, it was but that was also like a statute of limitations. It was because he was promised at one point that he wouldn't get in trouble for what he got in trouble for if he testified, and he had testified, and then he got in trouble for that shit anyway, and so they're like, oops, sorry, right. bro, and let him go. Yeah. Either way, it's disgusting that he was let go. Yeah. And I hate that I he ruined he ruined the Cosby show. It's like so many things the like Cosby now. Cosby show like, was so good. It was. It was. But it's like, I can't ever watch it the same again, like ever. I mean, I don't think he raped any of those it, kids. Right, but still. I mean, it's kind of like that 70s, like uh, that other guy from Hyde, Hyde? from the 70s yeah. show. Yeah, uh, Daniel uh, Masterson. Uh, uh, yeah, Danny, Danny Masterson. Masterson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But careful, he's a Scientologist, so we can't really say anything. We'll get sued. Yeah. <laughs> Hush. Shh, shh, shh. Don't make this weird. Yes. Allegedly, supposedly. Allegedly, supposedly. In my opinion. <laughs> In the opinion of someone I know. Yes, and our opinions mean nothing. Simply reporting. Anyone, so. <laughs> so. Well, in 2005, uh, it seems that nobody was really buying what the prosecution was trying to sell, and he was uh, cleared of all charges and dismissed. So, which I'm glad of, because I really... I really, I mean, I get that it's weird that his it was his girlfriend who suffered like the most stab wounds, so it like kind of speaks to a little bit of a personal thing with her, right? But and I mean, he did survive, but I mean, he was pretty badly injured, and I know people have done it before where they've injured themselves. I don't know, it just it just doesn't feel doesn't ring true. Yeah, especially when there's so many other people that were even more likely. But then they had alibis, but then some of them killed themselves over it, or maybe not over it, but just ended up committing suicide. And then there's, like, weird, there's, like, weird police sketch artist guy who shows up at the funeral. Like, that weird, weird. creepy guy. I don't know. I mean, just of all, like, the, all the possible, it is very strange. And of all the possible, you know, suspects out there, I just feel like Gustafson was, it just, no, it just wasn't him. I just don't think it was. Yeah, probably not. So I'm glad that he was cleared of all charges. Um, yeah. Just very, very strange. Now, the, the murder, since it's, it's, still, it's still unsolved, the murders, and it's become a bit of a, you know, piece of folklore. Uh, children are warned to be on their best behavior, otherwise they could fall victim to the phantom Lake Bodum murderer. <laughs> He's kind of like the Finland, Finland's own boogeyman. Right, now. right. Well, everyone's got one. Yeah. And I myself, I don't know, there's something weird about that guy. That weird face guy. Yeah. And then... His face is very, like, it's kind of wide and, like, very kind of flat. Yeah. 
Now, did you see a picture of Ass Man? Yeah, it does not look okay. like Ass Man's face. Yeah, I mean it's similar, but it's not. I, guess kinda, I mean, but I mean, it's kind of, but but there's yeah, it's just not. And this guy is so fucking weird looking yeah. in the drawings and the photograph. Yeah, and I feel like I don't know. This is like a bit of an X file type situation. Like maybe they were attacked by some weird alien esque guy with glowing red eyes. I mean, hey, and it's that weird looking be. dude. Could be. Yeah. And, I mean, when he comes up at you in the dark, his eyes glow red or something like that. I don't know. There's something weird about that guy. And maybe it's a supernatural type weirdness. There's just all sorts of... I just get, I just get a supernatural vibe off well, of this Well, maybe he's one. a time traveler and it's not glowing red eyes, but maybe some sort of, like, goggles with LEDs in them for some reason. Or, or something yeah. sort of appears that it's glowing red. And I don't know. Could be. Could be. But uh, I think there's... There's more than what we know in, like, the world of what, you know, that can be really explained going on with this. It's not just that we don't know who did it. It's uh, maybe we don't know what did it. Yes. Yeah. That, I, I get a big... I, I just have a feeling. Well, you know, humans always think that we're at the... Like, we know everything. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing that's left. We know everything, and then yeah, science can explain all. It, it there's like you know, in a hundred years, people are like we didn't didn't know shit. We look at people right. in the eighteen hundreds, just like yeah, you silly motherfuckers. Yeah, you and your miasma. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. the four humors. <laughs> <laughs> you dumb bastards. Right. It was viruses, you idiots. But they didn't fucking know. Well, they did yeah. know, but they didn't know what we know. So you know, same thing. Who knows? Yeah, maybe in a hundred years, like somebody will be able to see through a different lens this case and be like, "Oh yeah, it was totally one of these, one of those things, or one of those guys." Right. That we now know about, but yeah, very weird, very weird indeed. I agree. That's fucking, it's fucking wild and wacky shit. It is. It is indeed. Well, I think that's all the time we have for you today. So thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, as usual, you can find us at any of the... I mean, really, we're just on Instagram and Facebook. And we're, like, barely there. Right. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, join it. We don't have a huge social media presence. Yeah. It's not exactly our strong suit. No, no. Uh, but you can also join our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash podcast, where you can, for $1, just, you know, if you see us, you get a crisp high five. Uh, for two dollars, you will get the bonus, epi- uh, the regular episodes, such as the one you're listening to right now, ad free, which may be something that tickles your fancy. Uh, for five dollars, you get a bonus true crime episode where Joanna just tells you awful things about the shittiest of people. You can also take a look at the website of the podcast syndicate we're a part of, ageofradio.org. Our particular little, little section of there is ageofradio.org/strangerthan, where you can stream our podcasts. On uh, the Syndicate page, you can find a variety, hundreds of other podcasts. It's a, a lovely place with lovely people. If you wish to have uh, tell a story, if you wish to tell a story about, I don't know, black-eyed children or aliens or fucking, you know, just weird. Were you shit. attacked by a man with red eyes? Were you attacked by a man with red eyes? If you want to tell a story and you would like us to pass that story along, then you can email us your story at strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we like listener stories. They're good stuff. Um, with that, I guess we'll talk to you next time. And stay strange.